Welcome back to the Depth and Light Podcast. I'm your host, J.D. Pirtle. In this episode, I have a conversation with computational designer Ben Fry, co-creator of the processing programming language and principle of Fathom Information Design. Along with Casey Reyes, with whom he created Processing, Ben is the author of Processing, a programming handbook for visual designers and artists, and Getting Started with Processing. Ben is also the author of Visualizing Data. Ben and Casey won a Golden Nika from Ars Electronica in 2005 for their work with Processing. And Ben was the 2011 recipient of the National Design Award for Interaction Design. In 2001 at MIT, Ben Fry and Casey Reyes released the Processing Programming Language in Integrated Development Environment. 18 years later, Processing has grown to encompass a large user community, support for multiple programming languages, and has inspired projects such as Arduino, Open Frameworks, and the JavaScript library P5.js. Processing is not the first example of artists working in the medium of computer programming, but its impact on both designers and technologists cannot be overstated. I began using Processing in 2006 when I was a student at the Center for Digital Art and Experimental Media at the University of Washington. I wanted to simulate a way for a project I was working on, and attempts to animate the way of using existing software just didn't have the effect I was looking for. Seeing my frustration, a professor recommended I use Processing. With Processing, I was able to make the waves I'd envisioned for the project, but I had to teach myself the trigonometry I'd ignored in high school. Like many active users, the waves I made with Processing weren't my first exposure to computer programming, but it was the most important. The IDE, or Integrated Development Environment in Processing, was much easier to use and understand than Eclipse, the IDE we were required to use in the Java class I was enrolled in that year. The Processing IDE features numerous helpful examples, very easy to understand documentation, and even integrated books on how to use Processing. Processing is used by artists and designers all over the world to create interactive motion graphics, installations, and print media. But Processing is also used by technologists people who are fluent in other programming languages such as C++. When asked, these technologists have told me that processing is just more fun to sketch with. They can make one-off or experimental projects more enjoyably in processing. In fact, each project in processing is called a sketch, and these sketches reside in your sketchbook. As a teaching and learning tool, processing enables new users to get something on the screen quickly, a key feature that could prevent a level of frustration that might cause some to decide that programming is too hard or complicated for them. Today, the processing project is managed by Ben Fry, Casey Reyes, Daniel Schiffman, and many others through the Processing Foundation. Its mission is to promote software literacy within the visual arts and visual literacy within technology-related fields, and to make these fields accessible to diverse communities. Up next, my conversation with Ben Fry.
Ben, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Um, before we get started talking about like kind of what's going on right now, I wondered if we could talk about your background a little bit. I know a lot of talented computational designers and artists trace their love of programming back to childhood. Did you program as a kid? I did, actually. Um, sort of as a very separate thing from any, you know, kind of art and design work. But um, I was, uh, well, my dad worked at the uh, University of Michigan and um, would always kind of bring uh, bring equipment home from any particular research grant he was on or whatever. So I had access to like an Apple II early on and an IBM PC and um, that kind of continued you know, for the next uh, decade or so. Like, so I was really lucky to just kind of have that stuff around and available. And so I actually started coding around, I don't know, age eight or nine or 10, something, probably nine or 10, something like that. And, um, mm -hmm. and you know, it was just kind of self-taught for a long time, but, um, you know, I was exposed to the stuff early on based on just kind of uh, it being a fun kind of problem solving sort of thing. So, and then separately was interested sure. in kind of the design side of it, but didn't really know how that would really mix, how the two might mix together. So that came a lot later. Did that continue in through middle school and high school, that that kind of hybrid interest of design and programming? Yeah, like really, you know, for the, for that time, it was a very parallel kind of interest and in that um, mostly I wanted to, you know, go into design, like, um, you know, went to design school for undergrad because I really, you know, wanted to focus on that. But it's kind of like the coding stuff was always, um, always there. And uh, in undergrad, I, you know, did a minor in computer science, but was still, you know, situated in the design uh, school. And, um, you know, because I thought I could kind of do more, uh, I don't know, do more interesting stuff from a base of the design school, uh, kind of working out to CS versus the other way around. Um, and then it wasn't sure. until coming to the media lab that I really had a way of kind of mixing the things together in a way that was more compelling than like, I think during undergrad, I, I thought, well, you know, maybe it's, you know, UI design and things like that, that it was kind of, well, you know, understanding both the sort of uh, human side of this and the more technical side, you know, is the appropriate role about, you know, something about how helping people kind of understand interfaces and making stuff more usable and uh, relatable and things like that. And was always interested, interested in education as well. And so that seemed, you know, like the UI stuff kind of seemed like the way to go. And um, I did a lot of internships during undergrad kind of working, um, what was it, uh, Sun and Trilogy and actually an advertising firm uh, even earlier than that, but um, doing, you know, sort of UI uh, kind of things. Um, I worked in that for a little bit coming out of undergrad uh, at Netscape, it's uh, <laughs> there kind of imploding. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, yeah, and then wound up, you know, going back to the media lab and uh, having this opportunity to work with John Maida and uh, really mix things together in a, a much more compelling way as far as like, oh, it's not just computer graphics stuff and it's not just, um, you know, it's a way of doing design, but really through the lens of, you know, computation, which was really exciting. So in that aesthetics and computation group, that's where you and Casey Reyes met, I yeah. believe, and you guys um, kind of initiated the processing project. How did you guys meet and end up working on that project together? Yeah, so the, um, the two of us, uh, we were there. So um, what I had started the year prior and then Casey, uh, when he joined, the two of us wound up um, working together on a lot of stuff, in particular uh, supporting uh, John Maida's Design by Numbers uh, project. 
And, you know, so John had done this DBN software that was kind of a, you know, 10 command uh, language for, you know, doing, creating visual things. And, you know, so it was things like paper, which would set the background color and pen, which would set the, Mm -hmm. you know, drawing color and, you know, line and uh, stuff like that. And so um, based on our experience with um, doing that, we got a lot of, um, you know, sort of trying to teach people how to um, use use code in their uh, work or really just kind of getting them familiar with the idea of using coding then you know, circa 1999, 2000, like um, there weren't, you know, uh, there were just weren't a lot of people doing this. And so we got a lot of experience with just kind of, kind of looking over people's shoulders um, as they were trying to sort the stuff out. And um, it got, gave us a lot of ideas for what, you know, would eventually become processing and be able to kind of connect the dots between um, between trying to learn those kinds of environments uh, and the more advanced and sophisticated things that people wanted to do. Sure. So, what were your what were your goals for processing in the beginning? I think, you know, so the, there was sort of two tracks, and one was the the idea of um, having a way of, uh, you know, for our own work, we would do a lot of just kind of, you know, these short sketches, you know, so at the time it was like, we would write some code in Java and then we would write, uh, and then once we had kind of worked out an idea, um, you know, Java could only kind of do sort of limited 2D stuff. And then once we had worked out an idea, we would go over to uh, C++ and OpenGL on like, you know, more of a workstation kind of machine and uh, Mm -hmm. do something much more sophisticated. But like, C++ is a terrible way of like trying to like sketch things because it's like, oh, I'm trying out this idea. And then, you know, computer's kind of like, no, you're not, you know, like blue screens out and like, you know, things crash in a bad way if you, you know, sort of don't dot some I or cross some T. And so um, we wanted to, you know, figure out a better way of kind of making that, that process of kind of working through an idea and then refining it further. Um, just how, you know, how do you make that simpler for folks and how do you make it more forgiving? Um, how do you make it feel like, uh, you know, like scripting or, you know, scripting in terms of code, but sketching in terms of how you like um, the approach of coding is often that folks kind of sit down and like, you know, try and, um, you know, really think through everything and what are all the interfaces and how, you know, what's the structure and stuff like that. And, um you know, as we knew from our art and design backgrounds, like that's not how you, that's not the best way of creating things. You know, you need to um, sort of start with smaller ideas and how do you work through those kinds of ideas um, and have them kind of elevate in different ways. So what was it like working with John Maeda during that time and how influential was, you know, Design by Numbers? You mentioned it earlier, yeah. but in the process of creating this. Um, yeah, it was, it was hugely uh, influential work, you know, that I think with, John, I think the biggest thing, you know, just simply getting into the group in the first place was like, you know, that his work really kind of helped open up this idea of, um, oh, there's a, a much more compelling way of kind of mixing my interests that wasn't that wasn't just kind of doing UI or, you know, HCI kind of stuff. And, um, you know, that I could much more concretely kind of do that work. Um, I think also, um, you know, so John was uh, really great at just kind of, he had assembled this really interesting um, group of people. And uh, so I benefited so much from, you know, pe- working with people like Casey, um, you know, other folks in the lab at the, uh, the time, Golan Levin, uh, Elise Coe, mm-hmm. Tom White, uh, Jared Schiffman, you know, so like 
the, uh, you know, what we really got out of it was kind of the interactions of all these people who were doing all these very different things. And, um, and the thing is, John didn't let us do anything that was too much <laughs> like his work. Um, so he had a, you know, mm -hmm. he had a rule, like we had to do everything in 3D because like he worked, you know, he did stuff in 2D and that was done. So, <laughs> like, you know, we, we had mm -hmm. to um, make sure we were doing things that were different enough. He also didn't let us individually kind of work on things that were uh, similar enough to one another's work, you know, because he didn't want to see any sort of overlap. He didn't want to see any, um, you know, any issues around people stealing others' work or feeling like, you know, that something had been ripped off or, you know, something like that. So, um, and, you know, he was a very hands-off kind of uh, manager. He would just kind of, you know, whenever he got us he sensed that we were getting stuck. He'd kind of shove us, you know, in one direction or the other mm -hmm. and like kind of prevent us from, you know, kind of getting stuck. Or if he, um, you know, he has a very short attention span. And so like, if he saw us kind of spinning away on something, um, he was good at kind of, you know, kind of yanking us out of that. And so it was, uh, you know, good to be challenged that way and kind of pushed to do, uh, do different kinds of things. I mean, he wasn't, um, he actually didn't really want us working on processing, you know, that he was kind of like, eh, like, I know you guys can do that. Like, it's sort of an evolutionary thing. Like, unless you're going to do sort of this larger, you know, revolutionary, like change the way that people think about coding and, you know, stuff like that, that it doesn't really make sense to, um, you know, that it's not your research and you shouldn't, you know, shouldn't bother working on it. You should do stuff that's, you know, challenging you more. Um, and, mm -hmm. You know, but at the same time, we kind of kept working on it and he wanted to use it for classes he was teaching. So, you know, there's some, you know, some tacit support, but not quite, you know. So. Yeah, you know, whenever, uh, you know, something about processing, and I think that maybe, you know, John probably didn't see this coming out of processing, but whenever I, in my work, I'm encouraging educators and students to use processing, I'm always talking about what a great learning and teaching tool mm -hmm. it is, but I invariably end up talking about what a great community it is. Are you surprised by how the community's developed after these, you know, 18 years later? Yeah, yes and no. Like, I, I think, uh, you know, yes, as far as the, the sheer size of it and that the, um, uh, how long, you know, the, the project has, uh, has lasted, uh, the fact that it continues to grow, you know, like our, our numbers keep going up even for the, um, you know, the main processing project, not just the P5.js stuff. And so, um, mm -hmm. it's really remarkable to kind of see how, you know, how that's evolved over time. Um, on the, on the no side, part of it was, that, uh, that was an explicit thing that we really spent a lot of time on. Uh, at the outset, and we knew that that was going to be really important as far as um, uh, what the, you know, so much of it is like t people teaching, uh, teaching each other, and also kind of having a way mm -hmm. of deconstructing this stuff and making it more accessible for folks. And so uh, we felt like an essential point of that is like, how do you, um, you know, as people who are self taught, uh, in terms of learning how to code, um, we wanted, we knew that it was essential to kind of have, you know, have folks in touch. And so we always had a, uh, a forum that, you know, like, so the forum went through several iterations, but that was always a central part of it. And I think, um, another way of thinking about it is that the project was kind of, there's sort of a 50, 50 split between, you know, there's the code that, you know, there's the library, the software itself, um, that sort of thing. And then the other half of it is really it's the community it's the uh the site it's the documentation it's the 
examples, the tutorials, et cetera, like all of the other stuff around it that helps, um, you know, that actually helps it be successful. And I think um, mm -hmm. that that was a split that we, you know, started at the beginning and continued throughout. And, you know, that's been essential to it being um, what uh, I think it's, that's been essential to its continued use. Um, and that, you know, if it would be a very different project if, you know, cause if it's like 90% code and 10% documentation in the site and the community that, you know, what you have is a library, <laughs> you know, like that's just a, you know, an API or something like that. It's not, um, you know, it's not this sort of, uh, approach and all that, that we're trying to get out with processing. And so, um, you know, but yeah, it's, it's still, it still amazes me and it's, um, it's all also interesting kind of how that's, you know, just how that's evolved over the years too. Sure. I mean, another thing that I think about the community, I mean, having asked a lot of questions in the processing forum and asked a lot of questions on like Stack Overflow, you know, in Stack Overflow, you don't always get the most positive or <laughs> um, kind response. And I'm always amazed by how warm and kind the processing community is. And do you think that's just something kind of you and Casey fostered at the very beginning? And or is it the kind of people that processing attracts? Yeah, we, we definitely wanted to foster that because, um, you know, it, it's obviously like it's crummy to come into communities and have people just be like, God, you're an idiot. And, you know, and I think it's easy, um, easy to, for folks to behave that way. I think especially around technical stuff, there's a tendency to, you know, that there's too much of that. Um, we, it's, yeah. that's great to hear for me, you know, because <laughs> I still would like to see it be even actually that much more positive in terms of, you know, helping folks out. I hear a lot of the uh, crankier stuff because I'm dealing with bug reports and stuff like that too. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, but I think that's really important as far as how you set the tone for the community. And so like, I think, you know, if you think about like the, uh, so we put a lot of attention and uh, care into our early, you know, when we would do forum posts and things like that. And we spent a lot of time in the forum mm -hmm. kind of answering questions and trying to get folks up to speed. And then, you know, hopefully, uh, or what you hope for in that case is that that's going to set the tone overall for kind of how people are going to interact with each other and all that. And so, um, yeah, so to the extent that you feel like that's working, that's awesome. <laughs> Cause you know, yeah, just, for sure. I, I think it's super important. I think, you know, like the, um, uh, again, as somebody who spent a lot of time sort of split between technical com communities and non-technical communities, um, I get frustrated, very frustrated with the technical folks who are, you know, who get down on the, um, less technical, you know, who are like, oh, you, you know, you idiot, how could you possibly not know this or that or whatever? Or, you know, sure. um, it's just a lot of, uh, and it's like, well, yeah, but you were asking me the same question a year earlier, <laughs> you know, like it's kind of, exactly. and so, um, yeah, just, it's, uh, important to keep a more positive take on that. Uh, you know, I see a lot of parallels between processing and scratch. I'm usually mm -hmm. teaching kids to, to kind of migrate from scratch around fourth or fifth grade yeah. to processing. Yeah. And, you know, they're both initiated in, at MIT. Yeah. They're both geared toward fostering access to computational methods for learners who aren't necessarily traditionally using tools like that. And they're both open source. Why did you and Casey decide to make processing open source early on? So um, we felt like it was important. Uh, I mean, it's a bunch of things, but uh so for me part of uh, a huge part of it is kind of giving back to all of these other you know sort of paying forward that um all these people who had actually shared code with me 
Um, you know, so as a, as a kid, um, you know, literally nine and, you know, 10 and 12 and 13 years old, like, um, spent a lot of time, uh, basically learning, you know, learning how to code by looking at other stuff that folks had shared. And this was, you know, by and large, this was before people called that open source, you know, like that the, um, or that that was kind of a, there was a movement around that. And there was a real split in terms of the uh, the community that was out there as far as folks that wanted to, um, you know, share their work and things like that. And others who, you know, were ready, uh, who were mostly doing commercial stuff or that it wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, just wasn't a kind of norm that, you know, you could say like, hey, is this code open or anything like that? And um, yeah, and so like, I just, I really benefited uh, so much from all these other people who had, you know, shared stuff with me sometimes if I, you know, had asked for it specifically or simply that they made it available. And, um, you know, it really wasn't until my freshman or sophomore year in college that I had, um, that I actually took a formal, you know, coding class. Um, and so, you know, but by that time, like I had, you know, sold a piece of software when I was like 14 or something, like some uh -huh. uh, little thing. And so, um, yeah, just, you know, so part of it just being, that setting, um, but also in terms of how people uh, just sort of the access to it, uh, that it, you know, so the, if the core of the project is how do we get as many people involved in this kind of work as possible, um, you know, the last thing you want to do is like uh, set up barriers for, oh, and guess what, it costs this much and, you know, you don't get to look under the hood. And so, sure. um, you know, so there's a kind of a central part of, uh, of that. Um, I think in terms of how it's actually played out for us, I think that probably the most important uh, or the two most important things I think have been one around kind of how people trust the work, um, that they mm -hmm. their willingness to uh, use the software in the first place. I think, um, you know, departments like uh, NYU's ITP program, like their decision to use the software in the first place um, to start, you know, sort of um, you know, using less director and instead start using more processing and things like that. I think those decisions in part mm -hmm. were, um, you know, helped, uh, the fact that it was open helped move that along a bit because at the end of the day, somebody wasn't going to pull the rug out and sort of take the stuff away. Um, it's also, I think, sure. had a big impact on the, in terms of, uh, libraries and things that people build, uh, that extend the software because it kind of gives folks a look. Uh, a look under the hood and a familiarity with what, you know, what's happening within the code and then gives them a, uh, more of a leg up to kind of build these other sort of add-ons and extensions and things. Sure. And I imagine if it hadn't been open sourced, I mean, some of the projects it, it inspired like Arduino or open yeah. frameworks might not have happened in the yeah. same way. I mean, you know, Arduino quite explicitly that it's like, you know, the, their IDE is a fork of a particular point in time of, you know, the processing environment or, um, you know, and so they were able to kind of like basically hack up processing a bit to kind of do their proof of concept for what, you know, became Arduino and, uh, and then kind of continued in that vein. And so, um, you know, or things like, uh, open frameworks that that kind of sits somewhere between kind of the beta, you know, the 1.0 beta versions of processing and, um, this, uh, library called ACU, which is, was, uh, like a C++ mm -hmm. and OpenGL library that, um, we used at the aesthetics and computation group, um, and that I had developed with, um, Jared Schiffman and Tom White while we were there. 
um, as, as mm-hmm. sort of the you know environment for us doing our more you know sort of research scale work that wasn't the sketching stuff. So not to put you on the spot, but what are some of your favorite things that have been made with processing over the years? You know, I think like the the exhibition actually does a decent job of kind of showing uh, showing this stuff off. I think the stuff that I get really excited about is when people, um, you know, the farthest it is from my own personal domain uh, tends to be, or like the, you know, the stuff that I work in uh, tends to be what I'm most excited about. So it's like, you know, folks doing uh, really, you know, wonderful uh, uh, installation, you know, like sort of large scale installation stuff where they're like 3D printing, you know, these uh, strange worlds or uh, earlier on, there was a great deal of uh, motion graphics stuff, which it's like, I don't, I don't have the patience to do motion graphics. And so like, it was very cool to see, you know, these other people who do have that kind of patience kind of um, doing really lovely, you know, sophisticated work that way. And it, you know, how it kind of was affecting their process. Um, you know, any of the physical stuff, you know, so I think, um, you know, as a broad category, this, the idea of like, uh, you know, in, in the name, so processing being about this sort of a, a process, right? So it's uh, one thing that Casey and I wanted was that we want processing to be this sort of means, not the ends, you know, that it's not a, okay, I'm going to use processing to make X, you know, like, where X is some particular kind of thing that um, are the artifacts that come out of processing. And uh, what we kind of wanted people, what we wanted people to do and what we wanted, um, and I think what we get most, what I get most excited about is kind of where you see it being used as one component in a larger effort, you know? So it's kind of, it's not so much the tool to get you there. You're not sort of, you know, it's, you're not building the, a new Photoshop, but you're building kind of the Photoshop that you need for this project that you're working on that, you know, sort of addresses a particular thing you're looking at or, um, you know, and that, uh, so folks will build these kind of interesting, you know, tools that help them along with their work um, and, and then create something really amazing based on, you know, using that tool. Um, so yeah, just kind of how it fits into the, all these other things. Like we always had a lot of um, another thing that we tried to include in it, um, to enable that was that, you know, serial port access was there out of the box and networking was there out of the box and, mm-hmm. you know, video input and output was there. Um, and that those are all central things, even from the very early, earliest versions of the software, um, because we wanted it to be kind of, you know, um, I was going to say focal point, but not really a focal point, but just sort of like a, you know, some connective tissue that you can use in these other, other kinds of projects that are more compelling. Um, so your PhD is in computational information mm-hmm. design. Uh, what exactly is computational information design? So the idea of how do you rethink uh, doing information design by adding computation, right? So like, think one of the, um, you know, if you think about graphic design, information design, uh, what typically happens, you know, if you, say you're doing like a, I don't know, a, a poster for, you know, bus times or train times or a map or something like that. Like basically by the time you finish that, it's like kind of out of date already. And so, you know, and you're talking about this sort of data-driven thing. And so instead, how do you think about ways of uh, kind of treating things as much more of a, uh, a system and that a uh, it's less about a single artifact and more about kind of how these, you know, interactions work. And, and also just the way that, um, you know, as soon as you, uh, as a graphic designer, if you add code, what you know, what happens there. And so, uh, and what kind of things can that enable outside of simply, 
I don't know, building you building yourself better tools just to do other graphic design work. So, okay. It seems like a lot of, when I look at a lot of your current work, it, it seems to like fall into this whole category of kind of humanizing data mm -hmm. um, in a way that is graphically pleasing. I mean, would you say that's yeah, accurate? I think the, um, uh, and in particular, what, you know, what we like to focus on is this idea that, you know, say in the last, I don't know, like last decade or so, um, there's been all this um, work around, uh, there's lots of data out there. Here's big data. Here's all this stuff we're crunching. You know, we can, do these amazing, you know, sort of large scale analysis kind of things. But there's been a lot less work on that sort of last mile of like, great, so you did all that stuff and you've done all that analysis, but it's still inscrutable to everybody else outside of the person who did that mm -hmm. analysis. And, um, you know, which just is an, an effective way to work. You know, if you're doing that inside of science, uh, the only, you know, things can only move uh, or progress can only be made as quickly as you can kind of communicate ideas around. And so, um, and so that doesn't, it doesn't matter whether that's a, uh, you know, scientific research or within a company, you know, you need to kind of get this stuff in the hands of people so that they can make um, decisions about it. Um, and so a lot of our, um, you know, work is about kind of translating things for different, you know, different kinds of audiences. Um, and also the, sure. you know, that it's not just a design problem or it's not just a, you know, making it look cool problem, but it's also not just an engineering problem. So, but you also need to have folks on that engineering side and the folks on the design side, um, you know, talking to each other. And so, you know, here at Fathom, we have them literally sitting next to each other. Um, and, you know, we approach projects from the side of, well, wait, is this a, you know, is this a coding thing? Is this an algorithmic thing that we need to solve? Or is this a, you know, human factors or human interface or design uh, kind of issue that we need to solve? Or what's the interplay between those two for us as we, you know, try and build more and more sophisticated work? You know, in prepping for this conversation, I was looking at the bios of a lot of the folks that work with you at <laughs> Fathom, and I noticed that most of them have hybridized backgrounds, yeah, yeah. not strictly computer science or design. I mean, is that an intentional aspect of hiring? You know, I think it's, um, I think it comes from, uh, we have a lot of people who, are here because they like didn't quite fit somewhere else, you know? And so um, mm -hmm. that like, they might have, you know, it's like, well, technically they have like a CS background or degree, but you know, so um, what uh, a woman who came, you know, joined us uh, last year, um, you know, she has a computer science degree, but also like spent all her time hanging on the English department. And so, um, mm -hmm. and also was kind of, you know, so, to that end, that's interesting for us as far as she was interested in kind of not just the computational side of like, oh, let's, you know, word count all these Shakespeare plays or something like that, but was interested in kind of what it means outside of just sort of the technical issues of, you know, uh, software wise, how do we make that happen? And, um, and so I think we wind up getting a lot of folks who kind of exist between some backgrounds. Um, you know, we have somebody else who came uh, who, what, he had been a, a musician for a long time and then he went and uh, became like sort of an Oracle database guy and was at a energy company here locally, you know, sort of doing, doing stuff for them. And then he really got into doing visualization stuff and they're like, what are you doing? I don't know how we're going to use that. <laughs> like, um, and so he, you know, he found us, um, you know, from that. And so, yeah, we're lucky in that uh, folks kind of, uh, find us this way and, you know, kind of say, oh, wait, that that kind of looks like the sort of stuff I want to be thinking about. And, 
you know, want to be working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's such an, infl- uh, especially in K through 12 schools, there's such a, a, um, kind of focus on STEM that humanities are really left out. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like STEM or STEAM without the humanities is really kind of just a missed opportunity. Yeah, and it sounds like some of the folks that yeah. are attracted to or fathom attracts are those kind of people yeah. that include the humanities. Yeah, like it's, you know, as, as much as it's like, I, uh, it's nice having the focus on STEM. It's nice having the focus to, you know, adding the STEAM kind of thing, but also like we can't leave out the humanity. <laughs> you know, like it's, um, mm-hmm. it's just, that's kind of our our guide for how all this stuff is going to play out too you know that it's like it's kind of the um balancing factor against you know so if you're just doing the um you know science and technology stuff you're so focused on what's next and what to do and things like that and you know you kind of lose this whole perspective of uh well you know societies have done this for generations you know which thing, you know, uh, understanding which things are new and which things are not and, you know, sort of the cultural context in which you're doing stuff and, you know, kind of how that plays out, uh, plays out in the end. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of a, um, you know, it's just that, that important for folks to have that, you know, have some perspective on, on their work and, you know, how that factors into the kinds of decisions that they, they put into it. Or, you know, in, in our case, it's kind of like, well, uh, what, what will, or will, uh, what will we do with, uh, certain kinds of data? What, um, what are we, you know, what are we not willing to, uh, to touch? Um, you know, what's the perspective of, uh, like, is the, you know, data actually empowering people or is it just kind of surveilling people? What, you know, what's that mean? Like, um, uh, what we did a project with, uh, or we did a, a number of projects with Nike around, you know, sort of they, they had an activity tracker a couple of years ago and mm-hmm. uh, we did a bunch of stuff with that that was really about, um, you know, it's a sort of amazing data set because you've got, you know, uh, millions and millions and millions of basically days of people's activity, you know, sort of minute by minute how active they are and um, and a certain degree of, you know, geographic location for them that, you um, uh, kind of gives you some perspective of, you know, sort of where are people most active and what time of day, are, you know, is it happening? And so it's a really kind of fascinating data set to work with. But even within something like that, um, really having to think about what makes sense as far as what what aspects of that do you want to share? You know, like as a, um, you know, one of the things that we want to do is instead of it just being like, well, that's isn't that nice for Nike that they collected all this stuff? What are things that we can create with it that are actually empowering for the individual's whose data it actually is, you know, and mm-hmm. um, sort of giving something back to them. And I think there have been a lot of, um, and I think that's in contrast to a lot of efforts around, well, here's all the data and are, you know, like kind of mapping it all out in a big map. And aren't we all, you know, the, for, uh, you know, companies being like, aren't we awesome? Look at what we've done with everyone else's data, but that's not really empowering on a, for those individuals, that's, you know, the, the company's uh, owning ego kind of playing out. And also that that gets into, sure. um, that's also where you get into all the privacy issues and, um, you know, other kinds of uh, problems that come along with that, which, you know, so again, kind of the, uh, the humanities part of it, just sort of the, what is the cultural context and like, you know, who are the humans at the end of the line? What's the, the setting in which this stuff is happening and um, how, is, how is it being shared and what, you know, what are people likely to do with it? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it seems like, a, you know, something I read a lot. I mean, I guess, you know, magazines and papers are really fond of articles that say X is the important quality of a CEO. But one that shocked me recently was they were saying that storytelling was a really important quality of modern CEOs. And I mean, it seems like what you guys are doing has like a, an underlying storytelling element to it. Absolutely. And it, it's kind of a, um, it's one of the things that I uh, spend a lot, like, so, you know, in terms of where I go for, inspiration and whatnot, that it's like uh, movies and books and, um, you know, things like that, that basically are, um, you know, sort of relaying this stuff and then understanding things about like, okay, so how did they tell that story? And what were the necessary elements in, in order to pull that off? And, um, you know, and also like, if you think about it, like relative to what, you know, sort of where the field is with like information design and visualization and whatnot, um, like it is so, we are so behind <laughs> relative to, you know, some of these other, um, other types of forms, as far as, you know, we don't really have like a, uh, frame of reference for like, what does a long format data visualization look like? And it's like, you know what, it's not really there, you know, like it's not, um, in the same way that like, you can actually do a hundred minute film and really get some, uh, interesting ideas across, or you can write a. Uh, a novel or even a short story and really convey some really compelling ideas. And I think we're, uh, in terms of the, you know, uh, design and visualization kind of side of things, we're in a very, very limited sort of space at the moment in terms of how, um, how much perspective we can get, you know, from those things. And so we need to, there's a lot of work to be done to kind of be able to elevate it uh, that way. Sure. Um, you know, there's an, uh, another thing that I think every newspaper and magazine has really focused on for the last six or seven years is this notion that everyone must learn to program mm -hmm. or learn to code, as they usually mm -hmm. say. I mean, what, what, what is your impression of that from your seat, from your yeah, perspective? So, like, I think, um, you know, obviously, like, I think, you know, programming is a, a useful skill. And like, I would love to see more people programming. Um, I also, though, kind of... I stop at the everyone needs to learn how to code, you know, sort of thing. Um, like that, there is there's a line for me that um, I think it is. Uh, I think it is useful. I want more folks to do it. I obviously spend you know spend a lot of time in terms of uh, investing and in trying to make that more possible for people um, because I think it's it's important and I think it's empowering for folks. Um, but I think it's kind of a. I think anytime you get into that sort of absolutist thing, it's a. Uh, it can be problematic. Um, for me, it also kind of goes to, um, I always think of uh, learning drawing, you know, learning how to draw. So um, if you go through design school nowadays or art school, you can actually get through art or design school without actually knowing how to draw or knowing how to, um, you know, put put pencil or pen to paper and like actually create, you know, create things that are artifacts of what's going on. And so, um, which is fine, but the whole thing for drawing is not so much, it's not a matter of like, well, I'm gonna, uh, I need to learn how to draw because I'm gonna, you know, graduate from school and um, I'm gonna have a lot of projects where I have to draw. Um, the whole point of drawing is like learning how to see and learning how to train your eye. And um, the idea of, oh, I need to figure out like, you know, within drawing, you're thinking about what does uh, contrast look like and what does shape look like and how do, you know, different shapes interact. and until you're really kind of staring at stuff um, that way that you don't have a sense for um, kind of how to how to construct a scene. And so like it teaches you all these other things. And so, you know, from that perspective, um, it's kind of like, well, does everyone need to learn how to draw? It's like, well, no, 
is it very useful? Yes, <laughs> you know. So, uh, and I I see code being the same, uh, a similar kind of thing where it's um, it is uh, useful to learn coding. It is it is not nece uh, necessarily a necessity, but you know we spend all our uh, time using computers, and uh, we need to understand a little bit more about the decisions being made that drive you know the software that we're using every day. And how do we, um, you know, and, and with that in mind, how do we push for, you know, improvements to it or even, you know, think about different approaches or simply as a day-to-day -day thing, like how do I debug what's going on based on understanding a little bit about what's, you know, what's happening behind the scenes. Um, you know, sure. like a, when I was in, uh, when I was an undergrad and taking computer graphics classes, like when I started getting into, um, I don't know, even just kind of the first uh, first layer of stuff that kind of getting through the, you know, here's how scale and transform and, you know, all the linear algebra kind of stuff works. Uh, and it's like, oh, mm -hmm. this is why Adobe Illustrator is put together the way it is. You know, basically each of sure. those, you know, tools on the tool palette is like a matrix, uh, a particular kind of matrix transformation. And so, you know, a computer scientist sat down and created the software based on uh, a point of view of the world that it's like, well, it's all these sort of matrix transformations. And over the years, you know, that, so that's like Illustrator five or six or seven uh, at the time. But, and over the years, it's gotten a lot friendlier in terms of, you know, switching it more to the perspective of, oh, what do people actually want to do with the shapes versus what are the, you know, things that are possible to do with, you know, vectors. Um, but that was really informative to me in terms of like, it totally broke open the idea of like, oh, that's why this stuff's put together this way. And which also points you to ways of, oh, and actually it should work like this instead. Or um, or as you try and you know debug things, having that in mind that it's, oh, it's glitching out because of this particular, you know, underlying thing. Sure. And I think um, you know, kind of going up after what you said here is one of the things that I really encourage schools to do is, I mean, yes, introduce, you know, programming it is a useful skill. It's a, a way to think and or a way to change the way you think. Mm -hmm. Um, or express the way you think, but also I think aspects of design should be taught at some point in K through 12 and, you know, maybe even in undergrads as people, undergrad programs as they're getting some of their prereqs taken care of, because I feel like some of these underlying principles of design, even if they don't become designers, are so useful across everything that they'll end up yeah. doing. And, uh, right, and so like, and that with design, it's, you know, there are these fundamentals to that, like just sort of thinking about things like, um, you know, hierarchy or, how do you um, how do you put things together in a sequence that you know starts telling a story, or how do you prioritize different stuff? You know, like a, um, I do a information design and visualization course over at MIT, and one of the things one of the pro projects we actually do is like doing a uh, slide deck. You know, so like we're doing lots of you know coding and design and you know all this other stuff, but like one of the things is like just having folks do a a slide deck, having them do a 90 second presentation based on kind of putting together some points and just this idea of getting folks thinking about how do you, you know, getting folks thinking about how you line up a, a series of ideas and actually convey those with folks and what can you leave out and what goes in and, um, you know, or on the design side, it's how do you learn enough about the, uh, we're actually working on a workshop right now um, that we're going to do for a, a, a healthcare conference in a week or two. And we're trying to figure out like what are those core sort of design concepts that we want people to kind of walk away with and how do we set 
you know, set that up for folks in a way that helps them understand like, oh, this, um, you know, this software isn't doing the thing I want it to, but how do I articulate what's wrong so that we can get it, get it fixed and, you know, sort of do that from the perspective of doing a better job helping patients and things like that. So, um, so kind of building vocabulary around uh, so they can articulate what they're trying to say is wrong. Yeah. So like, how do you, you know, dissect, uh, dissect a problem and then how do you have, you know, given that vocabulary, like, how do you articulate the the issues that um, that you see are are happening, and it not just being kind of the, you know, it's like you kind of know you, know, you have this gut sense of like this isn't right, but I, you know, not sure what maybe it needs to be blue. It's like well, it's probably not that it needs to be blue, but um, there are different kinds of things that you know different ways to approach it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, I think design maybe in in schools, maybe all, from preschool all the way up through undergrad, I feel like design is kind of where computer science was in the 90s, where mm-hmm. it, you know, it, school administrators and teachers see it as something that is a domain for people who choose that, but it's not for everybody. And, you know, unfortunately, design thinking is kind of a term that is being used everywhere in school mm-hmm. and people are seeing the diagram of the six processes of design thinking, but there's just not much emphasis on design itself. Right. And, you know, so how do you, yeah, how do you get people you know, kind of going on that um, and just how, you know, the impact that that can have in, inside of other things. Like one of the best bits of feedback that I got from, you know, one of my students was, you know, after um, going through a, a couple weeks of, of the class that they went and they're like, yeah, so I was at final project presentations or like mid-semester project presentations and people are showing this stuff and it didn't make any sense. And and I knew it was wrong because, you know, this and this and like they didn't know how to tell a story and they're going too long and all this. I, it was a disaster. <laughs> you know, it's like and, you know, mm. it's kind of great because it's like that's awesome that they were able to take all this stuff that we've been talking about. And now in a completely different context, you know, like something that was familiar with them, like sitting in a, uh, a big crit like that um, within mm. the uh, architecture program. But, um, you know, so very familiar sort of scenario. But now he had a whole different set of, um, you know, just kind of was starting to have that vocabulary for like, oh, wait, that's not working because of this, this and this. And why are they even talking about that point? Because it doesn't actually move their story along or it doesn't, you know, help people actually mm-hmm. understand, like it doesn't help the audience actually understand where they're going with it. And, uh, you know, so kind of fun to uh, get the occasional win like that. So what are you guys, what are you excited about that you're working on at Fathom right now? Uh, let's see, what do we have? Um, we're working on a project on, uh, adult literacy, which is, um, which is pretty wild, uh, as far as, uh, just literacy within the U S, um, mm-hmm. one in five, one in six people, uh, don't basically don't, uh, adults, uh, don't have functional, uh, literacy in terms of being able to, uh, read and write. Um, that's insane. Wow. <laughs> like, it, you know, so you start yeah. thinking about what that number actually means and kind of what, um, what's in place and what, uh, yeah, just that, you know, it goes down in, in layers from that. So that's, that's been really interesting for us. It's very eye opening. Um, it's a good, uh, like kind of takes some of the stuff that we know for sort of demographic issues and things like that, that kind of ties that with a really important, uh, sort of story that, you know, just doesn't get enough attention. Um, we're working on the, uh, that workshop thing I mentioned. Um, we're also about to, or uh, a little delayed in uh, launching a project that we uh, 
uh, sort of looking at this idea of a landscape of um, lots and lots of documents or sort of collections of things. You know, so if you take uh, millions or hundreds of thousands of, you know, journal articles, like how do you know what's what's there? What's if you were to map that out as like a sort of topographic map, what what's that look like? And how do you navigate that? And mm -hmm. how do you sort of unpack different concepts and see kind of well, which are large areas and which are small and how do they relate to each other and what's adjacent and mm -hmm. uh, things like that. And so we've just been spending a lot of time thinking about uh, what there's a lot of stuff that, you know, either you can do search, which says, um, you know, hopefully you know what you're looking for and you kind of put in a couple words and maybe you get that thing back and you keep kind of tweaking those words until you get back the answer that you're looking for from, you know, Google or your email or a uh, publication engine. Um, but instead, but there's not a lot of just kind of having done that search, what's nearby, you know, like what's, what else is here? Mm -hmm. And like, what else should I be asking? Or what, you know, is this a large area? Like, I'm in a, am I in a big room now or a small room? What's, you know, what's next door and uh, things like that. So just trying to bring context to lots of information like that. But um, that's been a, uh, a longer effort that we've been working on and, uh, yeah, hoping to get something launched on that soon. That sounds awesome. Amazing. Uh, well, Ben, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. This has been a really great conversation. Thanks for listening to the depth and light podcast. Thanks again to Ben Fry. If you like this or other episodes, please consider writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Depth and Light, check out our website at depthandlight.com. That's D-E-P-T-H-A-N-D-L-I-G-H-T.com. Or check us out on Instagram and Twitter via the handle at Depth and Light.